Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, here we are on this October 30th, 2022. And as this day has been coming, thinking about this being Colleen's last Sunday with us, um, all the emotions with this, and even thinking about coming to this day, thinking, well, Colleen, would you want to share on your last Sunday and preach your last Sunday? She's like, no. <laughs> like, so many emotions, so many things going through. And Colleen, um, I know as we talked that her wish was that for me to share and share openly about what's most important to her, which is Jesus Christ, and to share about his grace today. And so um, that's what I'm going to do. But before we do, Colleen, well, we're going to celebrate you this afternoon at 3 o'clock and beyond. And but just for me, hearing you pray, again, I'm reminded, um, as you, God brought you here on April 15th, 1981, 1981, I'm going to date myself, I was a five-year-old boy when Colleen, God brought Colleen here. And even hearing you pray right now reminded me that God taught me how to pray through you, uh, through your prayers in our sanctuary Sunday after Sunday, she would lift up the name of Christ, pray and pray for others. And not only that, but our prayers together, prayers for this church, prayers for our community. You've taught me how to pray, and you've demonstrated for all of us the compassion and care of Christ. And so we love you, Colleen. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to celebrate you today, um, and now we're going to celebrate the Savior that you love dearly as we continue with this sermon. So thank you, sister. With that said... um, as we move into the sermon, I want to give you a warning to start that you, you may, you just may feel some feelings in this sermon uh, that will surprise you. Uh, you may at some point uh, think, uh, I'm not so sure about that, Jeff. Or you may think, that's too good to be true. Or you may actually feel some anger as I share what I'm about to share. Why do I say that? Because I know in my life, the topic we're going to talk about today has brought forth all kinds of feelings, all kinds of emotions and thoughts. As I've wrestled with this concept of grace. Grace is described in Scripture. And so I invite you to engage this fully um, as we head into this topic. Now, as you think about grace, what comes to your mind when I say the word grace? Right, for some people, when they hear the word grace, they think of a prayer before a meal. Others may think grandma grace, whether a relative or maybe from Sesame Street. Others may think of like a figure skater who's graceful. The word grace is used in lots of different ways. But when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the beliefs of the Christian faith, we're going to see today that grace is essential. More specifically, God's grace is essential. God's grace that's seen, known, and experienced in Jesus Christ. And we're going to consider this topic of grace as we continue in our sermon series entitled, This is Essential. And in this sermon series, we've been considering the core beliefs of the Christian faith with the goal of so much happening, so many different things that are vying for our attention and that can pull us apart. The question is, where do we find unity in the family of God? Where do we find unity as followers of Jesus? And we find them in the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. The saying that goes back centuries upon centuries when the church has struggled that in essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. But over all things is charity or love has served the church well. So when there's different pulls, from, whether from our world or culture or different things that pull us in different directions around what the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 calls disputable matters, that we could find unity, we could find sameness, we could find connection in the essentials of the Christian faith. And that's what we're focusing on. So today's focus is grace, that grace is essential. God's grace is essential. And the main point is this, that God rescues us 
God rescues us through his surprising, undeserved, ill-gotten grace of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. God rescues us by the surprising, undeserved, ill-gotten grace of Jesus Christ. And he rescues us in ways that we wouldn't expect. And this truth is essential. This truth can be life-transforming. This truth can be life-restoring. This truth can bring freedom in so many different ways as we lean into this truth that God shows us in Scripture. So I want to invite us to that saying. So what does the Bible have to say about grace and God's grace? To do that, we're going to look at a New Testament letter, the letter of Titus. And we'll look at chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Here's a letter from the Apostle Paul to an early leader named Titus. And towards the end of the letter, Paul provides a contrast, a contrast between a life apart from God and a contrast of a life with God. And that contrast comes when there's an interruption, and that interruption is by God's grace. And so as we enter into this, these verses, I invite you into a treasure hunt, a treasure hunt of looking for grace, because there's all kinds of treasures in these verses we're going to consider. And let God's grace intersect with your life, perhaps for the first time, um, or maybe again in a fresh way. So there, look at, again, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read the whole passage through, and then I'm going to go verse by verse as we unpack the treasures of grace in this passage. Starting in verse 3, we read this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This, this, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So jumping back to the beginning in verse 3, we see here the Apostle Paul says in the beginning, he starts by saying this, he says, at one time, at one time, meaning at some point in a previous chapter of our life stories, the Apostle Paul's talking to these Christians, early Christians, uh, and he's talking to Titus in particular, and then to an extended community that Titus was a part of. At one time, we were like this. At one time, we acted in this way. And this is a picture of a life apart from God. This is an honest diagnosis of a life that's disconnected from God, where God's influence isn't there. A life that in many ways follows our natural tendencies. But notice how the Apostle Paul doesn't point fingers. He doesn't bring out the judgmentalism. He says, we too, we too were like this. So we've all been a part of this. We've all experienced this. We're all susceptible to this. He says, at one time, we too. And then he lists off a pretty brutal list. But I believe it's an honest diagnosis of a life that is disconnected from God. That's apart from God. It's not going to cheer you up on a Sunday morning. Uh, but it's, a light, it's an honest diagnosis. It says, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, right? No, no freedom. We, thinking that those passions and pleasures would bring us happiness and, and maybe joy, but instead it, it, those passions and pleasures take hold of us and we become enslaved. At one time we were like that, he said. Also says, at one time we were full 
and lived in malice and envy. He says being hated and hating one another. This is an honest diagnosis of the human condition. And if we're honest, we see that without God's interruptions, we could go in that direction. All of us can in some capacity, in some way. And I believe as we read that list, for me it shows that we haven't really progressed that far over the centuries apart from these attitudes and actions. We need God's help. I know I need God's help. And the Apostle Paul's telling Titus in this community, we too were once like this. But he doesn't stop there. It's not all bad news. Starting in verse 4, you see these two words, but when. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. But when. Say those words with me. But when. Say them with some oomph. Say it. But when. Right? This is an inter- interruption. But when. It's like, look, okay, that's a life from power from God. That's a life before God. That's a life where we follow our natural tendencies. But God doesn't leave us there. He says, but when. God decided to interrupt that, that direction. While moving in that direction, he said, but when the love and kindness of our Savior appeared. Right? Love and kindness, or kindness and love, two Greek virtues that were attributed to leaders and deities of that time. Here, the Apostle Paul attributing to the one true God. Once again, I love seeing how Paul takes the language of his day and he applies it to the deep truths of God to make it understandable to his readers. Here he says, but when? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. To appear speaks of a, to an epiphany. An epiphany is like coming out of nowhere. Like, wow, this is surprising. This is not what we would expect. When this, the kindness and love of God are appear, appeared, what happened? Verse 5, he says, he saved us. Three powerful words. He saved us. He rescued us. We see as we read the pages of Scripture that God rescued us from something, but he also rescued us for something. He rescued us from sin and the impacts of sin and evil. And the ultimate impacts of sin and evil is separation from God, a broken relationship and spiritual death. God rescued us from that. But he also rescued us not just from something, but for something. He rescued us for a new identity, a new family. We'll talk about more of that in a couple of verses. God both rescued us and saved us from something and for something. He says, but he saved us. Those three powerful words in verse five. How? Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Here we see it's not that we can make this happen, not that we could earn it, not that we can do enough, but it's because of his mercy. Mercy, which speaks to God, not giving us what we deserve. Mercy, which speaks to God's compassion and his moving towards us. It's not because of the righteous things that we have done, right, that he has saved us. It's because of his mercy. It's his mercy. And, and then we continue to read that he saved us, he, those three words again, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Rebirth, here we see a new start, and a washing shows a clean, fresh start. A new start with a new identity, a new family. And stunned by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Here's this picture of God pouring out his, per, his personal powerful presence, the Holy Spirit, and doing it generously. This word speaks to being done because of God doing, doing this richly. Meaning that God has an infinite amount of resources. He doesn't have to hold back at all. He pours out his personal powerful presence, the Holy Spirit on us, and renews us day by day. In verse 7, so that what? What's the impact? He said, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Right, the word justified is a big theological word for 
that speaks to, it's a, it's a, a legal term, meaning being declared innocent. If you think about a courtroom and a court of law when the gavel comes down saying guilty or innocent, here the Apostle Paul says we've been justified or declared innocent by grace. Meaning that we should be guilty. All of us. All of us in some way or some form have broken God's laws and commands. None of us are perfect. And because whenever you break a law, there's a penalty. And that penalty in terms of our walk with God is a broken relationship with God. And it's spiritual death. And it's separation from God, both now and forever. And so here we see that we've been justified. We haven't been declared guilty. We, by God's grace, we've been declared innocent. And this happens as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And that he is the one who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He followed every law, every command perfectly. He lived a perfect life of love. He loved others perfectly. And he exhibited that. He showed us the way. And he is the way. And if we believe that he is the perfect one, and that because he was the only one who could, like if this was a courtroom, walk into the room and look at all of us and say, they're all guilty. But he could say, I'm innocent. And therefore, I'm the only one who can say, let them go. I'll take their penalty. And that's what he did on the cross. Out of his great love for you, his great love for me, he said, I want to have that relationship between God the Father and us restored. I'm gonna take that penalty for them. And he went to the cross and he died that sinner's death. And he took upon all of our sin, and it was buried away. And the beautiful thing is it was buried away. All sin and evil was buried away. And then on the third day, in real time, he was resurrected to life, overcoming all sin, evil, and death itself. And showing that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, and the resurrected Son of God who rules and reigns as we just sang about him. It's we know because of him, as we put our faith and trust in him, that we could be declared innocent by his grace. By his grace. Grace, as we see in scriptures, surprising it's unexpected it's undeserved it's unmerited it's even ill-gotten meaning god gives it to us and he knows we're going to take advantage of it he knows we're going to take it for granted but he still gives it to us it's because god's great love for us this if we step back we really think about this this is amazing this is amazing and this is amazing grace love to sing that hymn this is amazing grace and this grace is essential. And this grace is unique. And it's unique to Jesus. It's unique to Christianity. And it's unique to what we read in Scripture. And it's essential. We can't live without it. So over the years, I've asked God, help me understand this grace. Like, this grace, which is so amazing. We sing the hymn. We sing the song. It's, if it's amazing, help me understand it more. And, and at points I've understood, other points I've wrestled with it. I've asked God at points, could you impress this upon me? And spiritual mentors have, at, have encouraged me over the years, keep praying to understand more of God's grace. Um, it's, not, it's not something you can completely wrap your head and heart around. And so as I remember a couple of years ago, I, pr I was praying, and I was just really focusing on this topic of grace. Um, I remember journaling about it, saying, God, I just, I want to understand this under, of grace more and more. Help me understand it. Um, God gave me a gift. And it came in the gift of a dream. And I wrestled and debated if I should share this dream. It's kind of a strange dream. Um, and I'm like, do I really want to put myself out there? But I'm at peace because I really feel like if I didn't share this dream with you today, I'd be disobedient based on this topic. And this dream I had was a couple years ago. We were still living in Virginia. And uh, ironically, this dream took place um, in Parish Hall here in our church. 
And before I had any inclination or any idea that God would call me home here to New Providence Presbyterian Church, and so it was fully based on the wonderful positive memories of my childhood, and here I am in Parish Hall in this dream, and I, as I come into Parish Hall in this dream, I'm coming, uh, it's to an Eagle Scout Court of Honor. Now, though I'm an Eagle Scout, in this dream, I'm not yet an Eagle Scout. In fact, I haven't earned any merit badges. I'm just brand new to Scouts, but I came to celebrate someone else's Eagle Scout Court of Honor. And I walk into Parish Hall, down that hall. I could stand in the exact spot. And I'm not making this up. Who comes up to me in this dream? Mike Flavin. <laughs> and his big blue eyes, he walks up and goes, dude, congratulations. <laughs> and I go, congratulations for what? He goes, for your Eagle Scout. I go, what are you talking about? I'm like, I haven't earned anything. I haven't, I'm not an Eagle Scout. He goes, you are. And he goes, and he earned it for you. And he points over to, the, over to the side. And I look over. I'm not making this up. There's Jesus. And he goes, Mike goes, go talk to him. So I walk up, and in this dream, Jesus says, congratulations. You're an Eagle Scout. And I said, no, I'm not. I haven't earned one merit badge I haven't gone on any camping trips. I haven't done the Eagle Scout project. And I haven't been any, a leader in a troop. What are you talking about? And his response in the dream is, in a very tender way, I've earned this for you. You're an Eagle Scout. And I continued to protest. In fact, I got angry and saying, I can't be a freeloader. I'm not going to be known as the guy who got the Eagle Award, but someone else got it for him. I don't want to be that guy. I'm, I need to earn it myself. What are you talking about? And Jesus, in his grace-filled way, um, handed me, not physically this, but equivalent to this. All the merit badges that were needed to be an Eagle Scout. And said, you're an Eagle Scout by my unmerited merit badge, unmerited grace. And as I think about that dream, I've had to wrestle with that. I said, because I'm like, that still kind of makes me a little angry, honestly. Like, hold on. Like, I grew up in Jersey. I'm type A. I have to earn this. Like, no one else is doing this for me. And it's messed with me, but over and over saying, as we read in verse 5, not, not because of the righteous works you have done, but because of his mercy, we read in Titus 3, 5. That's how we're justified by grace. Declared innocent, or in this case in a dream, declared an eagle scout. So what do we do with this? Right, verse 8, we continue on, we read, he says this, this, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is a trustworthy saying, this is worthy of your trust. You can lean into this, you can lean your life on this, and if you do, then here's what you do in response, in response to this great grace and this great truth. Be careful to devote yourselves to what is good, meaning, live like a child of God, in verse 7, we read that, that because we're justified by grace, we become an heir, an heir of, of, of God, meaning we become a child, we become part of his family. How do we respond? We then act like a child of God. Continue in the dream. I didn't finish the dream. In the dream, after he says, congratulations, you're an Eagle Scout, that's when Jesus leaned in in this dream, and I'm making this up. He looked at me and said, now go and live like one. Let me say that again. He said, you're an Eagle Scout. I've declared you one. Now go and live like one. I think that connects to what is in Scripture here, that in our lives, we are, as we put our faith in Christ, we're justified by His graces. We are brought into His family. 
It's not that we do good things to earn our way into the family. He's done everything for us. We just need to receive that grace. And then when we become part of that family, God says, now go live like a child. Go live like a child of God. And I'll give you grace to do it. And he gives us grace upon grace upon grace to do that. So I don't know where you are today as you hear this. For some of you, this is news you've heard before. You've read scriptures, you've got it, and you're like, I'm grateful, and perhaps this has given you a deeper appreciation for it. My prayer is that's been for you. For others, you're hearing this, and maybe you're like me in the dream, saying, this is too good to be true. I, I, I can't go there. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I can't deal with a God that would actually do this for me. I need to earn my way. I need to pay my dues. Like, I'm not gonna take that from God. Let God mess with you a bit on that. That he loves you so much that he says, it's done. I've finished this. I've finished all the merit badges for you. Now, go live like a child. Um, others, you're hearing this maybe for the first time. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, this is too good to be true and I want it. I want in on this. I want to be part of the family of God. I want to receive this grace. If that's you today, I invite you to consider that. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. And so we're going to take a moment to pray in a moment and we're going to, whether you're thanking God for the first time, wrestling or wanting this grace for the first time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to really take a moment to think about that and to take that step. And so overall, this one, the, I want you to remember this. That God rescues us. God rescues us by his surprising, undeserved, ill-gotten grace of Jesus Christ. And what's one thing to do this week? I invite you to read Titus 3, 3 through 8, every single day. Take out your Bible, whether electronic, written, whatever it takes, manuscript, papyrus, find a Bible, something. Titus 3, 3 through 8, read it every day. And ask God, what do I believe about this grace? And seek to embrace this grace in your life a little bit more this week. I give you these one things to do, uh, one thing to do, not just as a nice idea. Like I actually expect you to do this. Why do I expect you to do this? Because I want you to grow in your faith. And so I ask that you really dive into this this week. Read this passage every day and see what God does. I'm praying for you that he'll meet you with his grace, meet you through his word, through this passage, both based on what you heard today and what he'll show you this week. Let me pray for us as we finish and go towards that end. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider your grace, I ask for every single person who's heard this message, Lord, that you would meet them with your grace. Again, God, for some who are grateful for this grace that they've heard about, they've read in Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would deepen their appreciation and understanding of it. God, for others who heard it, hear it, and like I heard it, even in that dream, and being like, this, is, this can't be. I need to do something. I, I need to have... I need to pay my dues. God, I ask that you give that person freedom. Um, freedom to question you, freedom to wrestle with you in that, but ultimately, eventually, freedom to receive that grace you want to give to them. And for others, Lord, who have heard this and think, yes, this is too good to be true, and, and if it is true, I want it. God, I ask that you give them the courage to say that to you, God, to say, God, I want this. I want you. And I'm grateful, God, to know that you wanted me first. And you love me and accept me despite everything I've done or who I am. God, may that person receive grace as well. For all of us, Lord, continue to interrupt our lives with your grace, your amazing grace, your grace which is essential. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>